Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my time capsule is, as always, the podcast where I ask people to tell me the five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish, and one thing they'd like to bury and forget. My guest in this episode is the stand-up comedian, writer, radio host, and podcaster, Pierre Novelli. Pierre is co-host of The Frank Skinner Show on Absolute Radio, and co-hosts the hit podcast, Bud Pot with Phil Wang. His recent TV appearances include World's Most Dangerous Roads, The Mass Report, and Stand Up Central. On the radio, Pierre has performed on The Now Show on Radio 4, and he also hosts the BBC Sounds podcast series Obsessed with SAS Rogue Heroes. As a writer, Pierre was one of the regular writers on the rebooted Spitting Image on ITV and Britbox, and has also written on such shows as Mock the Week, The News Quiz, and of course The Mash Report. He is one of the UK's most acclaimed live acts. His latest show, Why Can't I Just Enjoy Things, saw a sold-out run at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, and was his third show to have been placed in the top 20 best-reviewed comedy shows across the entire festival. Following an extended run at Soho Theatre, Pierre will be heading back to Edinburgh and then taking the show on his debut nationwide tour in the autumn. His first special, Quiet Ones, was distributed by the US comedy label 800 Pound Gorilla Records and has amassed over 250,000 views online. There you are, as you can tell, quite a career being built by Pierre Novelli. So I hope you enjoy listening to the five things he would like to have in his time capsule. I certainly did. As ever, of course, we start with a sort of get-to-know-each-other chat, in which I do most of the chatting. Have fun. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? Great. How lovely to meet you. Likewise. I'm so sorry for messing you about. No, not at all. I had to delay it because suddenly I had grandparent duty. Ah. And in fact, I started this morning with my grandchildren fishing in a little pond with nets, trying to catch sticklebacks and those sort of things. Oh, lovely. And then they noticed behind the pond were these sort of um, hidden smaller ponds inside little caves. And so they started fishing in there to discover, of course, that almost everybody uses those little caves as wishing wells. Uh-huh. 
and they made about £5.50 each. <laughs> I did try to explain to them at one point, thinking it would break the mood. I said, you know you're taking people's wishes away, don't you? <laughs> and they, with a grin, said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Children, they've got no conscience at no, all. No, that's it. That's why they like such incredibly violent cartoons. <laughs> yeah, it is. So how are you doing? I know you're leading up to a big tour, aren't you, really? Yeah, there's the Fringe, and then within a couple of weeks, uh, uh, an autumn tour. Mm. Although the the Fringe will be more grueling in the sort of, there's no going home. Yeah, it's hard work, isn't it? It's um, it's really almost impossible to resist as well, isn't it? <laughs> you sort of go, yeah. well, I, I've done the show, I'll just go home like I would normally, watch the telly. Nah. Mm. No. No. Nah. Think that. It's nice to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and those devilish people keep coming around and saying, uh, this is a thing, this is a tag you can wear that can get you into this bar. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really good bar. Yeah. You know, they only serve whiskey. And you go, why would I want to go there? And then you find yourself there at one o'clock yeah, in the morning. Yeah, it's like climbing Everest because it's there, yeah. Yeah, quite. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's lovely to have you on uh, this podcast, which I sort of drift into. I'm never quite sure mm. where we'll go in and where we join it. So um, I think we've got a really good connection, actually. We but, should do. Uh, I have a very, I, I'm the sort of person who needs fancy internet. Mm, and so me we too. Should, we should be fine. Yeah, and, it sounds clean, actually. Sometimes, mm. you know, you get delays and, it, you know, well, you know what it's like. You do enough podcasts. Oh, yeah. some some people seem to have internet with a rubber band and the modem or something. <laughs> it's just terrible. The idea yeah. of a modem. It's, it's, it's <laughs> exciting almost, isn't it? Just that... Screaming at you in agony. Yeah. <laughs> I made a big mistake when I first got on the internet. I thought to myself, now you probably don't know this about me, but I once, a long time ago, and this is, we have a connection here because I had a number one hit. Oh, right. A long time ago, uh, I sang a spitting image song that went to number one. Ah. There's our connection, you see. Oh, right. Yeah. Fantastic. Which one was it? The chicken song, it was. In oh, the, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah, well, yes, and I, I did a bit of writing on the on the, on the the revival, yeah. Mm, oh, yeah. gosh, wow. Yeah, and because I'd had a number one hit, I thought to myself, well, wouldn't it be exciting to get all the number ones, have them as a collection? So I tried searching for them on the internet, probably illegally, I think. <laughs> But it took forever. I mean, it I'm took sure. hours and hours of dedication searching these things. And I have to say to you, never, ever search for Young Girl by Gary Puckett. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Yeah, there's a few traps laid for you uh, <laughs> online with certain search terms, that's for sure. Yeah. So anyway, eventually I, I got them all. And of course, about three years later, I could have done it in about 15 minutes. Or in fact, I could have just gone to Spotify and said, play me all the number ones. Yes, I was, I was just thinking some enterprising soul must have set up that playlist. Yeah, yeah they're bound to have done, aren't they? And yeah. so it was a completely pointless exercise. But there you are. <laughs> I should have got all the number twos. That would have been much more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, you, you went on a sort of spiritual journey at the time, you know, yes. you enriched yourself. <laughs> well, I almost imprisoned myself. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 Valuable lesson. Indeed. And the other connection is 
that I know a story about Frank Skinner, which uh, ah. you may not have heard. I'll only oh, tell excellent. it. I'll, I'll tell it to you because uh, I probably won't put it out because it, you know, he might say that never happened. It's a lie. Sue him. <laughs> which is that a friend of mine years ago had a dinner party where Frank was a, a guest, and he was talking to people all around the table. At the end of the table was a, a friend of this friend of mine, and he said to him, "What? What do you do?" And he said, "Oh, I'm a drummer." He said, "Oh, brilliant! Oh, great! Um, what? Are you still still drumming?" Because this man was quite elderly. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not often, but, you know, we we get together every now and again and have a go. And he said, oh, brilliant. You know, are you doing any gigs coming up? He said, actually, I've got a gig coming up at the end of next month. He said, oh, where are you playing? He said, Wembley. He said, whereabouts in Wembley? He said, Wembley. Sorry, what was your name? <laughs> the fellow said, my name's Nick Mason. He went, you're the drummer with Pink Floyd, aren't you? <laughs> You can ask him if that's true, because it's a story that does the rounds. I am certain he would not mind if if that was true, and I'm certain it is true. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's the, the but you can't recognise a drummer. That's the thing. No. You've got to really love the band to know the drummer's face. <laughs> you really do, don't you? Even yeah. Pink Floyd. Surely he'd be worried. If I was him, I'd be almost a, a bit frightened if someone said, "You're the drummer from Pink Floyd." <laughs> you go, Immediately, you go, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic position to be in, though, isn't it? To be the drummer of Pink Floyd. Nobody knows who yeah. you are, and you've got all the benefits. Yes, absolutely. That's the dream. Yeah. Uh, all, all the fame, none of the blame. Mm -hmm. So we are going to talk, I hope you've been warned, about uh, five things from your life that you've chosen to put into a time capsule. Yeah. Four that you love and one that you want to bury and forget. So it's very much up to you, Pierre, what you choose and what we talk about. Oh, great. So um, yeah. would you like to proffer your first? Yes. Well, so I'm a real history nerd, so I, I can't turn that off. So when you said um, time capsule, I immediately sort of thought, well, I, there's going to be a slightly pragmatic aspect to some of my choices. Right. Okay. I take historiography too seriously to not... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> have you studied it? Did you study history? Yeah. Yes. I, I have a degree in... Um, <laughs> in uh, Anglo-Saxon, Norse, and Celtic studies. So it's very uh, specific history. <laughs> There's nothing you can tell me about that. I mean, I'm, I know everything there is. No, I know nothing about that. Well, there's. you could do a lot of the language stuff. I was more of a history and archaeology guy. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm on nodding terms with chunks of Beowulf, but I, I couldn't <laughs> translate it for you live, whereas I know people who, who could. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just uh, sort of uh, early medieval history was the degree. But I mean, I, I still read a lot of history very dull history books now just for for fun of different periods and um yeah so i i very into all that yeah. always have been. i love that sort of um well becoming concentrated on one little area that nobody else knows yeah. about really and, and discovering things about that that nobody else knows i had a neighbor a yeah. german neighbor who for all of his life was doing a phd on uh i think anglo-saxon mathematics Oh, okay. Yes. Well, the the Venerable Bede was quite a talented uh, mathematician. Yes, yeah. exactly. Oh, right. But sort of analysing it and seeing, in fact, if some of the theories that had been put forward had more worth to them than anybody had thought. Well, there's a lot of... Um, there is a sort of Anglo-Saxon medical book called Bald's Leech Book. And some... Uh, it's, I think they're called bioarchaeologists or something or <laughs> some group of guys went through and they 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 made the medicines from this book and obviously some of them are are, are just insane you know look at the moon with a piece of stick in your eye or whatever <laughs> but they found one which was a kind of paste of of stuff that they thought looked quite legitimate and it was very specific that you had to mix it in a copper bowl 
And it was a very effective antibacterial paste. It could kill MRSA even. Wow. Um, but there was something about the mixture that was only activated if you mixed it in copper. It did need to be a copper receptacle because it's a, a, a it's not inert. It, it it does something to the mixture. How extraordinary. The copper. Yeah, yeah. So there, there, there's some merit to bits and pieces of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I suppose those alchemists went through so many different processes that some of them would be effective. Yeah, yeah. And and that was a big part of the degree was was to say, look, these we, we were banned from calling it the Dark Ages. They said they they were just as smart as us. They mm -hmm. they they just happened to view religion and science as the same thing. Mm. Um, and once you account for that, and you account for the fact that they were absolutely dripping in books, it's just that if you live in a, a wet, moldy country like ours, then the, the <laughs> They're not going to survive. No, but, no. But we no. have, um, we have, uh, 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 I guess, what would you call them? An inventory. So we know that they were there, but we don't know what they were particularly. Yes, thousands of books, yeah, mm. lost, uh, unfortunately. Anyway, so that's that's my mindset when I I think time capsule. Very good. Yeah. Um, so I only have one abstract choice, which is my my negative one. Okay. All right. Um, Lovely. Before we start, I am so glad you told me that because I'm going to stop that looking at the moon and sticking a stick in my eye. I feel stupid now. <laughs> no, it's, you have to look at the sun. Ah, it turns out that's the. Uh, it's so obvious now. I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. What's number one? My pragmatic choice number one is uh, I would like to include just a sort of general bundle of ordinary diaries. Mm -hmm. Because the hardest thing in, in history is to figure out what daily life was like, because no one ever writes it down. And actually, if you look at the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, there's whole years with the monks writing it, which will just sort of say, 873, nothing. <laughs> and you think that can't, that can't be true. <laughs> it can't be true. There must have been something. And they go, no, no. The no. entire year, there was nothing. <laughs> Some years, it's just like, a, um, it rained a lot. Some cows died. You go okay. No updates on the the your advanced mathematical calculations about the <laughs> about Easter. No. Okay. Fine. Nothing happened. Fine. I mean, I suppose in a way, a monk is leading a very dull, mm. repetitive life. So it's fair yeah. that they say no, nothing. They go no, no. We just went and knelt for several hours in the morning. Then we yeah. dug. Then we ate. Then we knelt again. <laughs> then we dug. Then we ate. Then we slept. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. But it would it would be literally invaluable if there was a single manuscript where they just transcribed a chat they had outside the loo. <laughs> it, it would be revolutionary. Just a scrap of ordinariness would be so uh, precious. Mm. I think thanks to social media, at least if someone somehow finds a way to preserve it, mm. it, it will be easier to figure out what daily life or daily talk was like now. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, Although I, I wonder how real it is. Mm, that's true. It, 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 that's also the trouble with my choice of diaries is that you don't tend to slang yourself up in your diary like you do when you're a, in a taxi or something. I don't know. Um, some people are fantastically honest in diaries, aren't they? I'm always amazed that sort of famous people publish them. Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? Do yeah. you think, do you not feel that, that you must own this more and, and keep it to yourself? Uh, if you read things like the Kenneth Williams diaries and things like that, yeah. it just, yes. it, it comes across as incredibly rude and very mm. angry all the time. And you remember him as this very funny, witty man. <laughs> he's, he's destroyed it just by releasing his diaries. Yeah. In fact, you know what? I'll substitute my choice of a collection of ordinary diaries for mm -hmm. one of those mad diaries that people keep when they, they have a, a sort of compulsive disorder and they write down <laughs> everything they ate and everything they said. <laughs> 
because I actually don't want too much of the the interesting Kenneth Williams stuff about disputes with so and so. I want a bit of that, but I also want some of the exactly what you had for breakfast every day for <laughs> sixty years because it's a mad thing to read for fun, but academically it's priceless. So. Maybe that will be the worth of Instagram mm. then, because actually yes. just looking at the photographs will give you more information than anything anybody wrote on Twitter. Yes, exactly, and they'll say, "Look how look how often everyone seems to have been on holiday." <laughs> <laughs> They've got this strange affliction where everybody pouts. Yes, they were very um, upset, but not too seriously upset. <laughs> They're continuously being denied small treats. <laughs> we can notice the regular growth in length of the eyelashes of, of the females of the race. It's interesting. Yes, that's they it. They all the got longer will... and longer and longer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Everyone slowly grew the same face somehow. <laughs> All these true. women must be related. Oh, that's awful. What an awful thing for us to leave for the future. <laughs> <laughs> Do you keep a diary yourself? I don't. I always think I should. And then I just add it to the list of all the other things I should be doing, which never seems to decrease in size or weight. No. Yeah, I, I, I wish I did. I, I suppose I, I do do a, a weekly podcast with my friend Phil, and that's a sort of diary of a kind. Mm. Uh, it's certainly a snapshot. But yeah, I think I should. I have friends who are very dedicated, I suppose, journalists. Yeah. And they say it helps a lot with clarity. They, they, can, they can look back and, and determine where a particular good or bad mood came from by right. scanning back through their own writings. and. Mm like a, a sort of detective investigating themselves. And I do know comedians who always carry something with them so they can go, oh, I've just had this idea, I must write it down. I do have a lot of notebooks for that, and, and I use my, my phone as well, obviously. I, I have thousands of notes. The thing now is that your, your phone is such a high-quality dictaphone as well that mm -hmm. I record all my, my works in progress and listen back to them, and I just have hours and hours and hours of these recordings. Yeah, mm -hmm. a mad archive that, God forbid, it should ever be put in a time capsule itself. <laughs> yeah. But who knows? Future academics... Going back yeah. to it, yeah. <laughs> well, I love also the idea that the, the bud pod, isn't it, that you do yes, with Phil yes. Wang? Yeah, it's, I love that as being you two both sort of going, well, what have you been doing this week? Yes, and reacting to the news. And uh, we get sent a lot of quite good stuff from the listeners as well, which is mm. a, a, a very useful. But yeah, it, it's, it's quite unusual, I think, purely because, I mean, I met Phil Phil gave me my second ever stand-up gig when I was at uni, and I, so I met him in late 2009. Right. So known each other for a long time, mm. um, and it makes it a lot easier. What was the comedy troupe that he was in? Footlights, yes. We both did that, oh, and, right. and that's how we got into comedy. Well, sort of as students, you know, yeah, mean, yeah. Not, not professionally. Although he was... Um, he turned professional very quickly. He was he really rocketed ahead, I remember, even when we were at, at university. But yes, yeah, so it's a lot easier to, you know, what it's like with an old friend. It's, 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 mm. I mean, you're, you're cursed with a guest. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do your best to, to tease Golden Thread from. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just keep talking until something happens. <laughs> yeah, but they, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's a good uh, uh, approach. But yes, okay, so a mad, a mad diary, a yeah. compulsive person's diary. That's my first choice. Okay, that's lovely. All right, well, let's put that as the first thing then, Pierre. Okay. Um, let's move on to number two. Number two, um, I am going to choose bananas. <laughs> okay. Because uh, I, I, I learned um, 
I've learned about bananas, and it turns out that all bananas are clones of each other. Yes, I knew that. I don't mm. know why I knew that, but yes. Well, the trouble is that because every banana tree is or, uh, a tree or a bush, I guess. I suppose it's a tree. I suppose they're, it is they're a tree. They're quite low to the ground. Aren't I've they? just come back anyway. from Guadeloupe and so I've ah. seen quite a lot of bananas. The thing that surprises me about bananas is that you would imagine that they hang down when they grow, but of course they grow upwards. It's mad, isn't it? Like it's horns weird. or something. Doesn't, doesn't make any right. sense, does it? Because no. you think yourself, clearly, because like creationists believe that bananas are the perfect example of why God exists because they fit yes. perfectly in your hand and you can peel them, all that sort of bollocks. Um, <laughs> yes. They, they miss out that they also fit perfectly in your bum. <laughs> <laughs> that would annoy them. Yes. They don't seem to be keen on doing that part of it. Well, they're never quite why. too keen either to discuss pineapples. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or the amount of cyanide in apple seeds. <laughs> Quite. Yes. Yeah. So bananas, do you love bananas? I just, I think um, I'm worried about them now because I found out they're clones. And because they're clones, they have no different levels of disease resistance. One good disease could wipe out every banana. Yeah. Gone. So I think as insurance, it would be good to have a uh, some bananas in this capsule, you know, but it Tupperware to yeah. keep them fresh for for a bit. <laughs> Apparently, it's it's sort of happened before. the The main type of banana that we all ate up until the fifties mm. or sixties was a was a Gros Michel, a big Michael, and it was a more flavorful. It had a different taste. It was a different type of banana to the one we have now. Mm. So we're already on our second tier banana, right? Bananas yes. definitely in Guadeloupe taste different. I have to say, yeah, they are larger and they're more flavoursome. I think, yeah. Well, there's so there's some subtypes. You get these like because uh, we've the reason they have to be clones is we've obviously bred the seeds out of them. Mm -hmm. Those little dots aren't aren't any use to anyone. So you get these sort of little red bananas that are quite stumpy and flavourless, apparently, or they're like just very starchy and they've got these fat seeds in them, these big pips. Yeah. So maybe I should, uh, in a banana medley. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put a, a medley of different types of banana. You really would think somebody would have genetically gone in there and just varied them in order, well, one, yeah. to try and get, you know, do you want a banana that tastes a bit more like an orange? Uh, no. But, uh, you know, we'll have a go at it. But just for the safety of it, because clearly that's not a difficult thing to realize, is it? That if everything comes from exactly the same source, it'll be wiped out with one simple problem. Yeah, and uh, and as a fruit, I mean, it gives fruit twice a year. It's it's very good for, like, calories and, and, and vitamins and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's quite a superfood. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think we'll... Whatever happens in the future, we'll be needing uh, we'll be needing bananas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good choice. To help us out. I think just the other day I had a discussion with someone saying that. I th do you think how long it took for somebody to realise that actually bananas were much nicer if you peeled them? Oh yeah. People said, "Don't eat that. It's disgusting. It's really sour." Yes, yes. And then one day somebody said, "Have you tried peeling it?" It's mad, isn't it? When you look at his food history and like the tomato, they sort of they had the tomato for much longer than, but it took them a while to start really using it for cooking. Yeah, and the idea of just not having tomato at all <laughs> in your in your sort of food universe it seems insane, doesn't it? Just yeah, because they're such an easy thing to grow as well. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I do. Uh, when I was doing my degree, I would try and imagine the sort of daily diet of these guys. I mean, obviously, you know, gruel is a lot of it. Mm -hmm. But it's mainly just, I mean, what do we what do we have from that era? Root vegetables seems to be the main thing. Yeah. And sort of cabbages, lots of cabbage and sort of 
swede and turnips and <laughs> flatulent times flatulent times <laughs> very flatulent times <laughs> i also look back on the history of food and think when they show you what wheat looked like in ancient egypt so they, yeah. the type of variety of wheat still exists it's still out there it just, just grows wild now because nobody bothers to use it anymore they obviously over time cultivated and got the grains to grow bigger the heads to grow bigger but when they first started using it the amount of work involved in getting a loaf of bread out of that stuff was oh, phenomenal. Imagine. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, these crappy little <laughs> grains and and short, stubby stalks. And it, oh, no wonder people were small. <laughs> I mean, bloody hell. Yeah. And, and even then you'd end up with flour with bits of rock in it from the pestle and mortar sort of thing you were having to use to grind it. And, it's a strange oh. world because... I have for most of my life argued that all of us in this country, we lead a life that is greater than the Caesars. We lead a life better than the pharaohs ever would have had. It's strange, isn't it? We're at the first time in history where one of the main dangers to our, our health as a sort of animal mm. is that we're so clever at creating an excess of calories that it's it's actually killing us the other way. <laughs> We're so good at food now that without spending too much money, you could have 10 times your daily calories without even meaning to yes. if you ate exactly the right sort of bad ready meals and sugar, <laughs> fast food and just oil and butter and just can't move for it. I mean, one of my favorite films is uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Yeah. And I like the bit with the little Cockney evacuee when he discovers that the witch does the the lady. Um, oh, what, God, what's her Angela name? Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury, she doesn't eat fried food. <laughs> and he says, well, how, how do you keep your health? <laughs> and you think, yeah, if you don't have enough calories, fried food is how you keep your health. You need it. Like, it sounds silly now. No, but... I mean, I have a whole generation behind me, my parents' generation, certainly on my father's side, where they were brought up on bread and dripping. Yes, yes, yeah. Because it was good for you. Yeah. And every one of them had a heart attack in their 50s. <laughs> every one of yes. them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, people just sort of would turn themselves into sort of tallow candles, wouldn't they? Sort of salami. Yeah. Yeah, God. So that's, yeah, we'll need bananas, though. That's my plan. Future banana insurance. Very good. I mean, I like the fact that you've not only gone for things that you like, but it's got an element of saving mankind. Yes, yeah. I, I, I want people to, to crack open this and say, oh, thank God. <laughs> Pierre. Thank God. Oh, thank God. Bananas. They've gone a bit mushy, but they're okay. <laughs> well, maybe plants. My son, is, who's the producer of this yeah. podcast, Rachel, is very good at cultivating banana plants. And they have that brilliant skill that they just shoot from the bottom. And you can take those tiny little plants out, put them in a pot, and there you go. On you go. Yes, some sort of mini biome. Because, well, I'll say because, it's going to have to be quite a big time capsule. I will say this. Okay. Because my, my next choice is... Uh... Okay, this is the traditional halfway interruption for adverts that happens on all podcasts. If you subscribe to Acast Plus, you can get this podcast without this break. But never fear, we will return in the blink of an eye. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Lesser blink of an eye, more a short doze. But here we are to give you the remainder of the things that Pierre Novelli would like to have in his time capsule. The Night Watch, the painting by Rembrandt. I want to put that. Oh, my word. And uh, that weighs over 300 kilograms. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's the size of a a barn wall. That's the painting that has that most astonishing use of light, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, exactly. I'm a bit obsessed with the the Night Watch. Mm. It's it's on the wall of the Rijksmuseum in uh, Amsterdam. And uh, it it, it must be at least two stories high. I have seen it. It's it's astonishing. Every time I'm I'm in Amsterdam, I go and I have a I have a look at it. One of the things that I really like about Dutch art, especially from the Golden Age, is that mm. the first time I went around the Rijksmuseum, I would see these portraits of these guys with sort of gold lace and and filigree and a big curly hair and ruffs and things. <laughs> and obviously, if you see those guys in the National Portrait Gallery in the UK, you think, oh, okay, well, this will be the Duke of Galloway or mm-hmm. something. I mean, let's let's have a look who this is. And inevitably, it is some some uh, aristocrat. And what I like about the Netherlands is that it's so Dutch. You'll you'll look and you're so trade based. You'll look mm. and you'll say, "Who's this?" I mean, he must have been a, a king, maybe, and it's the <laughs> the harbor master of Leiden, yes, or something. <laughs> you think, "Oh, right, uh, well done." <laughs> oh, okay, oh, well, good, good for him, I suppose. Yeah. Well, it's just like the deputy mayor of of Antwerp or something, and you go, "Oh, all right, well, bloody hell, he had a lot of money." It's quite a middle class thing. I love the idea that they would celebrate those people, though, actually, and, and yeah. that they had the funds because, as you say, they were just a great trading nation, weren't they? Yeah. And there's something sort of mercantile and middle class about all the, all the fine art that, that is to see that it's coming from the sort of 1600s seems insane because, well, there was, a, <laughs> there was a brief period in England where uh, the mercantile class took over in the 1600s, but it didn't last. No. It, uh, it reverted. But. Uh, that what I like about the Night's Watch is that I, obviously that you know that the guys who commissioned it were well connected, but it was crowdfunded. Everyone in the painting chucked in a hundred guilders. Did they? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So it is a portrait of the actual Night's Watch of of that sort of section of uh, I think uh, I think of Amsterdam, maybe not, but yeah, it's crowdfunded. And they've got all their names there, and if you if you wanted to be in the painting, you had to pay, and right, you'd come and sit for Rembrandt, and you know, oh, there's Jim in the corner, and, and whatever, and, <laughs> and they've all got the most extraordinary expressions. Every now and again, you you spot someone who's sort of looking the wrong way. Yes. Oh, he's looking at a different night. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and and. Apparently, the, we call it the Night Watch because it used to be covered in in a sort of an inch of varnish, and it made it look darker than it was supposed to be. So they're <laughs> they're, they're in a sort of tall Dutch alleyway, mm. and the bits of light that are hitting the guys, it, it is daylight, but it, it's they're in this kind of soupy alleyway. 
right. uh, between these tall Dutch narrow uh, uh, houses mm. and warehouses and things. And um, yeah, so it's crowdfunded. Everyone in there is a sort of relatively ordinary guy. And apparently it was quite common. You'd be in this sort of militia as an upstanding citizen of whatever town and you'd uh, wander about between 10 in the evening and 6 in the morning with your crossbow or whatever, your arquebus and keep an eye on things and uh, <laughs> the portrait thing was quite common they'd all say well of course we need a we need a group picture <laughs> come on everyone squeeze in yeah squeeze in squeeze in <laughs> quick 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 it's only going to take seven years and amazing uh, oh and, let's get uh, rembrandt to do it yeah <laughs> you know I, I like him he might he might make something of himself Exactly. And, and and normally they'd be sat around, they'd be static. They'd be sitting around a table all dressed in that sort of very somber black and white, uh, uh, kind of very Lutheran mm-hmm. or, or Reformed church, sort of good dour Dutch Protestant clothing. Yeah. But then you have the Night's Watch where he, he, or the Night Watch rather, where he puts them in motion. He does this amazing job with the lace and the gold buttons and the, the metal fixtures on the helmets and, and the everything, everything is there. I still think with those sort of paintings, it's when you get up close to it and you look at the daring of it, or in fact, the imagination that's gone into that, the ability to recognise that, in fact, if I put here a completely white line, like a just a ridiculously white line, perfect Mm -hmm. white there, it will just look like that's where the light has hit. And actually, once you've seen it in a painting, you then see it in life. You then look at people and go, I can see why that works. Yeah. And and to to look at something and say, well, that's that's the most realistic, shiny sort of gold button or, or whatever mm-hmm. I've ever seen. And then to look closer and, and realize that in terms of your, your idea of what gold is, a sort of yellowy color, yeah. half of the button is actually brown and <laughs> yes. a quarter of it is white. And there's only a very small yellow bit. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, yeah, the understanding of, of light and the physics of it. Astonishing. I mean, I like the fact that at that time they were all doing that, where they would always just put a candle yeah. in the middle of the table and that was your light source and it lit everything yeah. around it. And the further people got away, the more obscure they became. Yes, yeah, shrouded. And, and, mm. and actually, they've done a thing where they got. Uh, it was a big project. It started in 2019. It's finished now. You can go online and see this. They've got a hyper, hyper, hyper detailed photograph of the entire painting. And you can zoom in to the point where you can see the cracks in between bits of the varnish and the paint. Wow. The pupils and irises of individual members of the of the painting. And this is a painting the size of a barn, you know. Mm. And they photographed it extensively and they used AI to help them knit the photos together. Right. So you, I, I was doing it on my phone just today. You could just look on your phone and zoom in endlessly, endlessly. Dan. Like that amazing photograph of uh, of the universe. So in fact, you know, yes, going out, yes. You, know, you keep going. You go. There's another galaxy. Oh, there's another. Exactly. Galaxy. Yeah. Amazing. And, and just to, to be able to zoom in and just look at like the the work that he managed to do on the lace of the ruffs uh, with white paint. I mean, I, I've done a bit of painting for mm-hmm. at school and and you know for fun now sometimes, but. Uh, just the idea, if you said to me, sit and paint a, a lace rough, I would just, <laughs> I'd have a full breakdown in advance. The idea of capturing it to this extent. It's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it, that people can see that, that <sighs> people understand that. I mean, but in all great art, that's always astonishing. You listen yeah. to the harmonies of Mozart and you listen to, you know, the the tune. 
I was listening to something the other day and I, I realised listening to it, there's this amazing tune going on and yet it was like bagpipes because there was a note that went right through it, right through the whole thing. And it sounds like the most complicated piece of music but you know that it's got this one note at its core. And I'd, I'd listened to this piece of music a, a lot of times and I'd only just noticed it. So you think, said he's fooled me. He's 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 clouded it for me. I've never been able to understand it. And he, I, I suppose, in his mind, that must have been part of the enjoyment. Oh yeah, they, I mean, hidden artifice. It's mm. it's, oh, it's certainly it's how a lot of jokes work. You 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 hide the yeah. the best bit at the end and and make it seem natural when it's not. And yeah, but yeah, I mean, just anything that is like high art, uh, it's easier to appreciate if you've tried it yourself which is one of the reasons why i always found it hard to i'm getting better but i always found it difficult to appreciate high quality football for example because Mm -hmm. i I never played football and i i don't really have a team or anything so when i see it on tv i sort of go well i can see that he's fast but i have no frame of reference for how fast compared to who or me or what but (laughs) because i have tried to paint things in my life i can look at the night watch and just have a sort of panic attack of the idea of attempting something of similar detail and scale. <laughs> I, it's the painting version of looking at those guys who climb mountains with no safety rig. They're just yeah. doing it with their powdery fingers. And you just think, <laughs> absolutely not. Never in my life will I try. Oh, astonishing. I love that whole process that art has gone through, That those steps that it's made. Yeah. I saw a painting in Cortona in Italy. I went into a church and somebody said, oh, this is the first painting with perspective. And you go, oh, wow. So no, this is the first one. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's astonishing to look at it and go, oh, I see. But it looks like lots of other paintings. You go, no, that's the first time somebody did it. Yeah. Yeah. The first time they thought uh, size uh, in image should not be proportionate to importance. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think it was almost people wanted to burn it because they went, no, that's completely wrong. It's got a shoulder in it, in one corner. It's almost as if he'd jumped forward in time and had seen cinema. Yes. And then gone back and said, do you know what? We've been looking at this the wrong way. It's so... When when I used to do a lot more drawing, I, uh, I had a drawing teacher who said she would make us draw without looking at the page. That's quite a common technique, you know? And yeah, yeah. You can't look at what you're doing. And so you train your hand to space things out almost by instinct Mm. rather than by looking up and down because you'll get it wrong. Unless Mm. you're a genius, your eye will just be wrong. And so that was part of it. And the other part of it was if you were copying a face or trying to draw a face, put it upside down. (laughs) Um, And you will be more close to the real thing if you're copying a photo if the face is upside down. Because when it's a recognizable face to your brain, Mm. you have such a bias towards your own right-hand side if you're right-handed or, or what you think the eyes are like, that mm-hmm. you'll, it will just be wrong. It's, it's very interesting to watch children draw, yes. that they've looked at something and then somebody's told them how to draw it. So they will yes. look at a face, draw me, you say to a, a, a five-year-old, and they go, okay, and then they, they do what everybody else does. They draw this thing and they put the eyes there and, and you go, where are my ears? In comparison yes. to my eyes. <laughs> I watched my granddaughter realize it. And she went, yeah. oh, they're much lower. Yeah, these proportions and these tricks and things. Yeah. yeah. What a lovely thing to put into a time capsule. How brilliant, Pierre. <laughs> it's going to be more of a time uh, bunker. And even more, a thing for mankind, I think. Because if you're going to have an example of what made us worthwhile, yes, yeah, if anything yeah. did, 
then that would qualify, I think. Yeah, and I, I think not just because I I really love it, but but the fact that it was paid for by sort of sort of subscription by re- relatively ordinary, certainly non-royal people will be significant, and certainly almost without the ability because they'd only put a bit in to say mm. I, I don't look like that. Do I? Do I? Do I? I'm, I'm a bit slimmer <laughs> than that, aren't I? Yeah, sort of going. Oh, know why am I? Royal people would have done, and you know, very powerful people would have gone. I think I don't have that mold yes oh no i was mistaken i beg your pardon i'll take it out yes <laughs> i think you'll find i'm going to chop off your hands if you <laughs> me like that again <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah wonderful okay that's in there then that's your third thing pierre yes so my fourth one uh, yes. i'll make the fourth one my negative one so i don't end on a negative right one. okay that's great yeah so this is my only negative it's my negative one and it's my conceptual one uh, the thing I don't want to think about again, mm-hmm. and it's a real bugbear of mine. It's bad eating manners, bad eating technique, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I, I I don't even mean you know they're using the the lobster claw on the walnut or, or something <laughs> like that. I just mean so I I have terrible misophonia, uh, which is a sort of hatred of small sounds and and, and open mouth chewing or crunching mm-hmm. or, or things mm-hmm. like that drive me absolutely up the wall. Hence hence these. He- noise-canceling headphones for my many train journeys to and from gigs. Yeah. Uh, they're an absolute lifesaver. Although sometimes people are innovative enough with their chewing to, to <laughs> penetrate even these <laughs> citadel walls of mine. And of uh, course, once you've noticed it, once uh, you've seen it, you can hear it. Without these headphones on, I'm like a bat. I can sense someone eating crisps with their mouth open from the other end <laughs> of a packed carriage yep. on a rainy day. I mean, uh Yes, yeah, so I, I really hate it. People who sort of chew their mouths open or, mm-hmm. or, or, or slurp their drinks or, or, or whatever. And yeah, so I would like that to not be something I ever have to think about again. Because it's not, it's not a useful irritation. It's, no. You can't do anything with it. No. You just have to sit with it like a horrible roommate. And you can't teach the world. You just can't. Because, yeah. in fact, it is a very slow process that you teach a child very early on. I mean, and it is only something we've been taught, for example. My mother was very insistent of don't talk with your mouth full, don't chew yeah. and open your mouth, until, of course, yeah. you don't do it. And then, of course, you also become very annoyed if you see someone else do it. Well, that's it. And I, th- I suppose a part of you is thinking, how are you getting away with this? Mm. I sort of resent their freedom in a way. <laughs> How that they can just walk through the world gaily slopping on grapes with their mouth open like you wouldn't believe and just not even know. <laughs> they they're like they're still in Eden. They don't have the sense of shame from <laughs> from <laughs> from the apple. No. And uh, you, you can hear the voice of your parents saying, I don't want to see what you're eating. Thank yes, you. Yes, that's right. Or or just stop that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it always bugs me and it's an imposition, I think. I'd, I I yeah, I, yeah, but you can't say anything. I mean, I have a friend who I would say if he's eating a salad, he eats it like he's furious with it. <laughs> the salad has been very rude to him. He uh, he snaps at it like a dangerous dog. Yes, there are all sorts of tiny little things on there that can become annoying. I particularly find it annoying when people bite and their teeth don't sort of move across the thing. They just go bang. Yes, 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 yes. It's a sort of slamming. Yeah. Yes, that's very odd because you sort of think well, you must understand that that's not the optimum. It's not chewing, is it? It's not doing what you want even. It's not even no. mechanically correct. <laughs> Never mind the society we've built around us. <laughs> even as a machine, it's not uh, it's not working. 
and yet, of course, this is just cultural. Yeah. You know, I mean, other yeah. societies would say that it's rude not to make a noise when you eat because you're not showing yeah. how much you enjoy it. Yeah, that's it. And I, I mean... Uh, Which is why we'll never live there. This is... Yeah, I mean, Phil, <laughs> Phil, the guy who I do Bud Pod with, Phil Wang, he, he's from Malaysia originally, and he said to me, God forbid you ever have to have a meal with some of my cousins back in Malaysia because the amount of slurping and, mm. and so on is, is very much par for the course. And to be fair, I mean... Sometimes I can broach it with sort of logic where through Phil, I've had a lot more sort of Asian fusion cuisine and things. And we'll, we'll try to find very authentic Chinese places to go to mm -hmm. uh, with each other. And if you don't do a bit of close to slurping when you have a ramen noodle bowl, mm. then you're just going to have plain noodles and then a big bowl of soup. Yes. <laughs> as opposed to the combination, which I believe is the goal. So... <laughs> You sort of go, okay, well, out of pragmatic frustration, I will allow this. This makes sense. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm no sure you option. wear your headphones, though, don't you? I'd like to. I'd <laughs> like to. But then if I behaved in, in, in a way that prioritized my own comfort, I would lead a, a, a hell of a weird life. You just yes. have to sit and go, okay, fine. I, uh, I know. I'll tune it out. Yes. But for you, I will put it in there and get rid of it. Good. Thank you. So you don't have to worry about it. I'll be f as free as the people that seem to sit next to me on trains. Yes, yeah. although uh, there are certain things. I mean, it may even be a class thing to an extent. Yeah, manners are a middle-class anxiety to an mm -hmm. extent. So maybe it is. Maybe it's both sides because in, yeah. in a way, very posh people have no qualms about it at all. And in a way, working-class people who watch only fools and horses, one of the things that Del Boy does almost without fail is David Jason builds it into the character that he's always eating something. So in the fact, yeah. he's always eating. So he talks whilst eating. Yes, it's very American. And mm -hmm. and if you watch um my, my uncle went he, he lived in America and, and he had sort of South African manners for you know knife and fork and, mm -hmm. and all correct. Yeah. And uh, his colleagues uh it, you know it's a white collar job. He worked uh, as a salesman for IBM. They mm -hmm. sort of wow, wow, you're eating fancy. They'd sort of be like <laughs> kind of impressed with him. And he would watch them, you know, spear a steak with a fork like they've just hunted it and cut round it with the other free hand and then swap knife and fork in their hand. Yeah. And madly inefficient way to go about it. Astonishingly well. inefficient. It really doesn't work. I, I mean I have to say I've just had lunch with my grandson and spent the whole time saying if you hold the fork like this, uh, I said to them, what's the best way to stick a fork into something? And they went, well, like that, sort of holding it vertically down and sticking it in. I said, no, if you yeah. turn it over, yeah. it's designed so that it bends down. That's it. And they'd never noticed it. Well, God bless you. I mean, you're, you're, you're laying the groundwork for, for any number of future train journeys for me and other <laughs> afflicted uh, <laughs> people. <laughs> I'm relieving you of the horror. Oh, there we yeah. are. Good. Well, that's in there. Don't worry about it, Pierre. That's in. It's gone. You're safe. Ah, oh, thank God. Okay. All Lovely. right. Well, the final one is um I have a sort of fear that um we imagine that say DVDs or CDs are are, are forever, but they're not. They do decay. And people don't realize that. They do decay after a while, more so even than vinyl. Mm -hmm. After 15, 20 years, they can they can break apart, they can break down. And there is a theory that because we're putting everything on digital, we might end up living in what future historians see as a dark age because so little of it will survive by right. accident. And the thing about vellum is that it does survive. I mean, it's it's you can't <laughs> put an album on it, but still. <laughs> so it might it could happen that way. If the, if the internet gets shut down, if enough servers just get fried by, by some solar flare, who knows? Mm -hmm. So in the time capsule, I would like an enormous 
sack of stand-up comedy DVDs from the noughties. I, I want to preserve the <laughs> cultural legacy of stand-up in the UK. And uh, I joined the business just as DVDs were dying uh. for stand-ups. And uh, it's a shame because it was. There's nothing that is quite as profitable no. and as popular as DVDs were in from sort of what 2000 to 2010, say yeah, maybe yeah. O, o two to to twelve. It's how all those people. That's how they all made their fortune. Exactly. Yeah, the profit margins on DVDs were massive, and you could sell them out of your boot if you wanted to. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's there's a one of Stuart Lee's recent shows where yes i did where he's covered the stage in dvds <laughs> and he, he sort of walks through them like snow <laughs> and i thought yeah that's very good i also love the concept that he said in that show he watches his own dvds and if ever they go below a certain price he buys them yes yeah, exactly inside a trading he's got going on there <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yes, he's got a, a sort of mini algorithm works out for most efficient DVD sales uh, yeah. <laughs> value and resale. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, basically a big sack of all the stuff he's got on stage there mm. of all the kind of naughty stand-up icons. And, and uh, it'd be a nice picture in time of this weird, brief golden age for mass stand-up and, and a period where as much as there's been stand-up in the UK for over half a century, mm-hmm. I think... The 90s and then peaking in the noughties was the period where the largest number of members of the British public became the most familiar with it. Yes. The most stand-up comedy literate. Whereas American audiences are so stand-up comedy literate and have been for so long that in their daily parlance, they have a phrase that they'll say, which is doing a bit, which is, you know, when someone's (laughs) joking around with you, they'll say, are you doing a bit? (laughs) <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's inside lingo. That's, that's, you know, oh, he's got some new bits he's working out on stage. No one uh, in the UK public would understand that at all. No. Um, whereas over in the US, they're happy to put that in a script as, uh, as common dialogue for people to understand. I wonder if that's why, uh, I mean, I saw stand-up in the 90s in America. And at the time... Here it was all a bit chaotic, and people were doing all sorts of very weird things, and, uh, and yeah. being, you know, everybody had to be a different character. And in America, they were all consistently top notch, as it were. They all were yeah. really bang on, very confident, very clear, great jokes all the way through. And it did become a bit boring after a while. I think they lose a lot of variety with how professionalized it is, or how much they know what it's supposed to be. Whereas mm. the UK had, like you say, it was a much more of a it didn't come from spoken word in, in cafes and, and and the Catskills Mountains in the 50s in New York. It came more from variety, end of the pier, music hall. Mm-hmm. Um, well, why can't you do any impressions? You know, like not quite <laughs> not quite continental cabaret, but something in between the two. It's quite yeah. good, but you should have finished with a song. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But of course, Lee Evans would never have cropped up in America, I think. No, he's, he's too much. He's mm. too... Uh, they they used to. I mean, the the first stand up in America to do a stadium was was Steve Martin with his very alternative and strange, yeah. ironic performance arty material. Mm. So there was a time, but but yeah, by now it's so worn in that the a lot of the weirdness, at least before social media, was filtered out. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in a way, Lee Evans always reminded me of Jerry Lewis. Yes, yeah, mm. a slight zaniness 
and the craziness in the body movements and yeah, yeah. big characters and big big reactions to things. Yeah, the Americans will have that, in it, but they'll, they'll put it in different contexts as opposed to stand-up, yeah. Mm. So do you think we're moving into an era where, in fact, we're becoming like the Americans were then? Do you think there's, there's enough th- variety in it now? I think we've gone through it. I think right. the noughties was the time where you had this like stand-up industrial complex pumping it out and... Mm-hmm. And these these oceans of DVDs and guys in suits that you could sort of get mixed up quite easily. And now it sounds like a bad thing, and it might be, it might not be. But there's so little stand up or comedy on TV at all now mm. that it's just online, and everyone's doing their own thing. I mean, the idea that I could make pretty decent money from just being funny with my old comedy buddy from university on this magic thing called the internet or the podcast we're doing now you and i yeah yeah we don't have to talk to some awful commissioner we don't have to fight off the terrible interjections of a producer we don't respect or (laughs) you know maybe sometimes it would be nice to have a a good you know we'd all love to have a show produced by armando iannucci or some dream version of it sure i'd quite like a team around me yes oh sure but but equally sometimes you sort of think well i sit in my corner and i i make a living from this art and that wouldn't be possible without the fracturing of the old ways so no and in fact that you can tour and because people know people through live performance now more than something they've done on the television yeah if you've seen them once you're happy to go and see them again you know and you will follow certain people I, i go regularly to see people that i know Complete, and you'll keep in touch with them through Instagram, mm-hmm. which is a TV channel that they run. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. and so you you don't need to rely on Time Out magazine or the Guardian or the Times to remember your name and care about your new show because the audience is already subscribed to your newspaper, to your mm. TV channel, which everybody yeah. does in their own way, don't they? You know, Kelly yeah. Beaton just talks to the camera. She just yeah. says, "I've just done this. This is where I am, and this is what I've just done." And exactly. you feel as if it's uh, almost a friend sending you a message. Much more intimate. Yeah, mm. yeah. So that's my final one. It's very good. I'm very pleased. Although I'd made an episode of Mr. Bean in the nineties, ah. and at that time, uh, my union had just made an agreement that we ought to regulate what people got paid for being in DVDs because they'd only mm. really just come out. So um, they signed an agreement where you would get a one-off payment of £58 to make sure that you you got something at least, which, of course, the producers of Mr Bean immediately put into the contract. So unfortunately, I got paid £58. No. <laughs> I know. And every uh, time I see those producers, they say, still selling well, Mike, aren't they? And I go, don't, please don't say that to me. Please don't say that to me. Well, I make a very fun joke about Mr. Bean at the end of my new show at the Fringe, so I'll, I'll, I'll send you a recording if you can't, if you don't make it up. Fantastic, good. You'll get <laughs> good. some payback through that. Maybe. Well, have a fantastic time in Edinburgh, and I look forward to seeing the tour as well. Oh, thank time. you very much. Well, thank you very much for having me. No, oh, it's been a joy. Thanks, Pierre. Real pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to my time capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Pierre Novelli. Thank you for listening. Do subscribe, rate, or even review this podcast so that others can see how much you enjoyed our efforts. It really helps our profile, hopefully turning that profile into a full face-on grin. I'm on X or Twitter, or whatever Mr. Musk chooses to call it this week, if in fact it's still going by the time this episode goes out, as well as the other billionaire platforms on Meta. Yeah, does anyone ever suspect we're all being played for fools? 
Ah, well, at least we can be foolish together and have some fun while it happens. My time capsule is also on those social media outlets, so it's just as foolish as I am. So join us both and let's form our own little enclave of pleasantness. The theme tune, written and performed by Past the Peas Music, is available on Spotify. This was a cast-off production for Acast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer was John Fenton Stevens. Right, I'm off to discover a bit more about Anglo-Saxon history, because I do love a good history book. Of course, I remember much more of it than most as I was there. In fact, when I was at school, we didn't call it history. We called it current affairs. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.